is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Uh, Matt lost special time bringing in the big hitter. Uh, Matt, not sure if you're uh, on this scoop, but uh, apparently Mauricio Pochettino is coming to Chelsea. Have you heard? <laughs> I better go. What have I been doing the last two weeks? <laughs> yeah, good news for you. All of the leads are gone. We're down to one. Uh, I feel bad for you on the Tottenham side. It seems like every day there's a new manager linked with them. So uh, much simpler over here. Well, I've, I've just had another Groundhog Day, actually, because I went through it with Nagelsmann and Chelsea, the who's distancing who from who with Chelsea. Did Chelsea <laughs> drop him or did he drop Chelsea? And then on Friday night, just gone, I had, did Tottenham drop him or did he drop Tottenham? So it feels, yeah, it feels very weird. The one, both the storylines keep sort of bumping into each other. Well, uh, don't worry. I think we can firmly uh, plant our feet on the Mauricio Pochettino land as you broke. Uh, all, all but done. Just need a couple signatures, a few details. He's flying in from Barcelona to sign a three-year deal. Um, we had a couple... Was it Paul Mitchell went out to Barcelona and someone else like within the last week or two to kind of firm everything up with him? Paul Mitchell. Or Paul, Paul Mitchell would be a shock. Paul yeah. Winstanley, Lawrence Winst- Stewart. <laughs> My gosh, we have, <laughs> we have so many directors and people. I am all over the place. Weren't we just connect, linked with Paul Mitchell? <laughs> you, were, you were linked with Paul Mitchell. Paul <laughs> Mitchell, I can assure you, was never coming and is never coming at the moment. Correct. But, That's um, right. I, I, I hear your pain because there are <sighs> so many names and different things going on. I find myself doing things like this, but you worried me there for a minute. I was thinking, have I missed something? No, but no, yeah, I think I think uh, last week, yeah, was a key week. They they managed to get the bits. That, funnily enough, for, for about two weeks, there's only been what we would call uh, in media speak bits and bobs left to do, and it's surprising how long those bits and bobs took. Uh, but they're over the line. Terms were agreed on Saturday. Um, so yeah, he's flying in. He may have, look, I don't know the exact day he's flown in. And, and by the time we, uh, this goes out, he may have actually already flown in, but he's certainly coming from Barcelona where he has a home to London, where he also has a home, uh, sign the contract, get announced this week. And finally, finally, we can, uh, properly concentrate on, uh, on the future rather than the sort of past and, and the, uh, the stuck in the present. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, a lot of like back and forth, you know, on just a lot of different pieces. But that's that's the kind of time we're in, right? Where it's all a lot of speculation, wondering how things might happen, shake up. But I guess from your perspective, how have the conversations go between the club and and Pochettino? Um, obviously, we know they kind of talked him in the fall, um, but things are severely different this time around. Three year deal. I don't know. Was it haggling over that five versus two or something in between, or was it all pretty straightforward? Yeah, there'll have been bits of haggling. I think probably the length of contract will have definitely got haggled. The let's face it, let's be crude about it. The wages will have been haggled over, no doubt. And um, and then things like image rights and stuff like that. It's all nitty gritty. Mm-hmm. There was never. I can promise you, during the last two weeks, I never got one even smallest sense there was a problem or an issue or there was any fear of it falling apart both sides always always very positive through it that's I mean I was writing I've been writing now for two weeks like that thing's been sort of agreed for two weeks because 
everything was so positive. Sometimes you get with these things, oh, someone's having second thoughts, or this, that, and this, that, or spanners in the works. Never got any of that. I'm told from day one of uh, Chelsea going to him this time that, that Pochettino was absolutely excited, uh, absolutely definite that he wanted it. I think it's really interesting, actually. I think it speaks well of his determination and desire to join Chelsea, that he hasn't held out for Real Madrid. You know, he's long been linked with Real Madrid. Real Madrid used to be talked about as being Maurizio Pochettino's dream job. They still could go out of the Champions League, obviously, to Manchester City, which could put a little doubt against Carlo Ancelotti. But he didn't bother hanging around for that or trying to play Chelsea off against that. He went headfirst into Chelsea negotiations. He's agreed his terms before that second leg. So I think that speaks volumes about his desire to take this job. Yeah, well, that's great to hear. Obviously, from our perspective, he's coming off a little bit of a break, refreshed. I'm sure he's kind of coming with new ideas and, and a lot of excitement and passion. Obviously, got a couple matches left to this season. Uh, really not looking forward to going to City next week and not going to lie. Uh, so how does the transition look? Are we just waiting until June 1st? Is it right now? I mean, you have in your article here, the focus this summer will be on selling players and reducing the size of the squad. Two or three key signings including a goalkeeper. Yeah. Um, look, the, the planning will start now. I don't think, I don't expect him to go to a game. I don't think he needs to. I don't think he probably wants to do that to the squad and to Frank Lampard to look like he's sort of watching over them and, and stuff like that. He Look, I might be wrong. He might end up going to one. I don't expect him to, to suddenly turn up at Stamford Bridge at a game. I think he can do all the watching he needs and analysis and stuff he needs from from home. Um, I think, I know sure that he hasn't spoken to Frank Lampard yet. Um, there's not been any discussions within the negotiations between him and Frank. Managers are funny like this. Some managers want completely fresh eyes and never want to speak to the last man because they don't want anything implanted in their head that maybe creates an, an unconscious bias. Other managers like to, so we'll wait and see. Lampard's made it very clear that he'll be happy to pass on everything he can to, to Pochettino if he wants it. I think the two of them already have a little bit of a relationship and know each other. I know Lampard's a big admirer of Pochettino. Um, I think if the ownership did ask Lampard his opinions at all, and I don't know if they have, he would have given him a glowing reference because I know he's a big fan. Um, and then, yeah, it will be plan, plan, plan. I think the first priority will be to plan the pre-season rather than the squad. I think they'll they'll need to sit down very quickly to plan how Pochettino wants to work within the pre-season, how long a training camp he wants, uh, who can come back when, if they've had internationals, things like that. That will be the immediate priority, I would imagine. Um, and then he will work closely with them on, on shaping the squad. The interesting thing about Pochettino, he's not a manager to make transfer demands. Um he never did that at Tottenham, and I, I don't get the impression that changed at Paris Saint-Germain. He will discuss positions. He will discuss what he thinks he needs. He'll discuss areas he thinks he needs. But historically, he's not been a manager to go in and say, I want him, I want this, get me him, get me this. Um, and that probably appeals at the moment to the way the amount of people that are at Chelsea involved in that decision-making process, it probably appeals to, to the way they hope to sort of collaborate on things. Um, but yes, goalkeeper, goalkeeper is one I know the club are are planning that they they feel will will be an incoming this summer. Let's put it that way. And 
And I think the only question mark is whether there are two outgoings on the goalkeeper or, or only one, really. Yeah, I, I think a lot of fans looking at that position uh, pretty clearly as well. Uh, we do know, thanks to you, that uh, he's going to bring in four staff members, right? Jesus yep. Perez, um, who is his assistant manager and head of conditioning, which is a big role under Poch, as we'll touch on a little bit. You've got first team coach Miguel D'Agostino and goalkeeping coach Tony Jimenez, which, what does that make? Third goalkeeping coach on staff? <laughs> Enrique Lario, and you still got um, Ben Roberts, who came ben to Potter. Yeah, I mean, look, we, we I think we all expect Ben Roberts to leave, to go with Potter when Potter gets a job. The the backroom staff situation at Chelsea, I don't mean as to, in terms of Pochettino, is messy at the moment, to say the least. Have you checked you know, the if website? You log, <laughs> if, you, if you check the website, and I haven't checked it in the last hour or so, so I don't know whether it's changed, but... Certainly, the last time I checked it, the first team coach was still listed as Bruno Saltor. Um, yeah, no one's ever confirmed that Joe Edwards and Ashley Cole and Chris Jones are back at the club. They're sort of ghosts, and still yet we there. see them every week. So it's a messy, messy, messy situation in the backroom stuff. So there'll be a clean break there. And I, I, I would have thought the expectation is, is that Ben Roberts will move on with Potter uh, when, when Potter starts again yeah bruno bjorn um kyle mccauley ben roberts you, you think mccauley's gonna stay i know he was closely tied to potter yeah again i would have thought that, that graham potter when he gets a job will want to employ kyle because he's worked with him very closely now for a while um i i don't see any need why chelsea would necessarily sort of cut him adrift unless potter came in i think there's probably still a role for him a lot of his a lot of his work goes into sort of data analysis around recruitment. I don't see why he still couldn't do that. But uh, yeah, Potter will uh, almost certainly come back for him if um, if he lands a job. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. So uh, yeah, I mean, oh, and then the fourth being Pochettino's son. Um, Sebastiano. Sebastiano, because his other son, which Phil at Chelsea educated me earlier today, says... His son is Maurizio with a Z or a Z, as you would say. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. not confusing. Is he still playing for Watford? He was playing uh, for Watford the last I heard. Yeah, I think that's what Phil said the last time he saw him was at Watford as well. So, um, But four doesn't seem that big, right? I feel like other managers come in with like a group of seven or so. Seems reasonable. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of like for like in terms of the, the number of staff Potter had, I think. I think it's about the same as, as Potter. Antonio Conte famously would have sort of seven or eight. That's everyone has different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone has different. Con- Conte had the biggest one. I mean, I think when Conte first negotiated, that that a sticking point was that he wanted about 10 to start with and they negotiated him down. And then after one summer, another guy came in. But um, yeah, he likes he likes a tight group. Um, you know, he likes a tight group. He likes a tight circle of trust, shall we say. Understandable. Uh, interesting, you noted here that Perez is uh, going to be really key to working with the medical mm. department because we need, you know, mm. we'll, again, we'll get into the physical demands of Pochettino. What is going on at the medical department? Do we have any updates with them? I, I believe like they reshuffled, they brought in an, an influencer trainer, then they brought someone who they fired back on as a contractor. No, I don't have any updates and it has been an issue and that's that's All right. that's messy as well. Um We'll see how that shakes down. I think that might become clearer come the summer. Uh, um, yeah. It feels like a lot. Feels like a lot of things we need to get to the summer so they can sort of 
shed some excess everywhere and come up with a, a slightly clearer picture of where we are. Perez will be absolutely vital. He he whips. He's the guy who really whips the players into shape. I'm told his energy around the staff and around the club is absolutely key. He doesn't really get let anybody get away with anything, and yet he's often hugely popular. He's a, he's a nice guy. He's a he's a smiley, friendly guy. But I think he he's a real hard worker. Um, at Tottenham, there was famously after summers there'd be a fat there'd be a, a basically. I'm trying to put this in a PC way, but I don't really have a, a PC way to say it. There'd basically be a fat camp. So when they came back from from summer, anyone who was slightly overweight would get put in fat camp at Tottenham. I think Kieran Trippier has spoken about it in the past that he came back from one summer thinking he was in pretty good shape and got stru- got shoved straight into Tottenham's fat camp with some of the others. And and then they really get work. So, yeah, the body fat. I mean, if you look, if you ever look back at pictures of Harry Kane, pre-Pochettino and Jesus Perez to about six months to a year down the line with them, the difference in his body shape is absolutely remarkable. And in actual fact, just after they left, his body shape went slightly the wrong way to start with under Mourinho. And then he obviously got, got hold of it again. But that's 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 very much Perez's department. But he Perez is almost um Jesus Perez will will take responsibility in lots of different areas. I mean, he was the guy at Tottenham who would sit at the top table at press conferences with Pochettino to help him out slightly with the language. I don't know whether he'll require that now at Chelsea or whether he'll want that. He would uh, he would go passing messages. He would walk amongst the staff. He's he's kind of the eyes and ears everywhere. Yeah, well, good to know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, um, right after the break, we'll kind of touch on the fitness regime and things like that. So uh, it seems like things are settled. Uh, one flight tracker, I'm sure, from Barcelona will be on <laughs> Twitter in no time uh, as people are trying to figure out when Pochettino lands in London. So uh, we're going to take our first break and we get back all about the fitness regime and uh, how Poch can see auras. So thank you to the sponsors and we'll be right back. Bet you didn't see this coming. Hope you're ready to hear editor Jake's voice for a while in the ads. <laughs> this time we're coming with Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and more. Shady Rays is a world-class sunglasses company, independently built, that'll have you thinking you're wearing some of the world's top brands that you already know with durable frames and extremely clear optics. Not only clear optics, but clear ethics as well, having donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Something that we have done at London's Blue Podcast. So, and if you're worried you won't like your pair, they will exchange it, they'll give you a new pair, or you can return them for free within 30 days. And if you're worried you might break them, Thanks to Lost and Broken Replacements, you can get a replacement pair, no questions asked, anytime. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code LONDONISBLUE, all one word, all caps, for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's right, LONDONISBLUE, all caps, spelled just like the podcast, you know, the podcast you're listening to right now, you can see it in the title. All caps, one word, 50% off, two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try it out for yourself. The Shades rated five stars by over 200,000 people. Matt, we're, we're talking about lemons here, right? We're, we're, I, I read the article. 
I was not ready to to read about lemons and energy and and flow and things like this, but um, aura, aura. Yeah, it it seems a little loosey goosey, but I'm sure it's proven for him, and he's he's got his way. He's he's look he he is a spiritual guy, and he believes in this stuff, and he believes from a friend once telling him that lemons can produce positive energy and get rid of negative energy. I always have lemons in my, I actually already always have lemons in my in my kitchen out so I'm I'm pleased I've, I feel like I've already been on top of this um the aura he feels that he can tell where a person is heading sort of personally and professionally by by being in a room with them and and being with them he makes a lot of decisions off feeling and and things like that he's he, yeah I mean he is genuinely a very very kind of spiritual spiritual guy yeah i just found that really interesting kind of as we were reviewing the article and the different things you had come out about this um again check matt's stuff out on the telegraph like really really in-depth reporting on all of this in in part of it i think which is catching a lot of people's i think interest on a lot of this stuff is is kind of that like his approach and how he he sets it up because he's an intense guy um obviously antonio conte is probably the most intense guy we've had here where does he kind of fall on the spectrum? Because you talk about yeah. these pre-Champions League final rituals, but that's kind of off maybe to the side of the actual game itself. But on the touchline, I, I don't know, I guess, how do how do we kind of place him? Yeah, he's not he's not an Antonio Conte type. Um, he's far more... He tries to build a family within his squad far more than, than Antonio Conte would. He's He is very intense, but his his intensity... Uh, he can be also very sort of touchy-feely. Like I say, Deli Ali, he was actually a bit like a father figure um, in in some respects. Uh, and yet he will always say he's not friends with his players, but he will he will always try to keep that family in that respect. I mean, he set something up at Tottenham where the players would have to go and shake hands with Daniel Levy every morning when they saw him. That was all about trying to create this, this family atmosphere. They... They weren't allowed to just sort of nod at him. They had to sort of talk to him properly and, and respect each other. And they would all have to shake hands with one another. I think he will introduce that again. They get to training. They all shake hands. Um, yeah, it, it's not it's not an intensity like Antonio Conte's. There are elements of him that are a little bit Jose Mourinho-ish. And yet, again, there's elements of him that are very far from, from Jose Mourinho. I I find it hard to compare him to sort of, he's a weird mixture actually of kind of, he's got a Carlo Ancelotti element to him of that, that guy who can be very close with his players, very sort of touchy feely. And then he's got the Jose fighter in him as well. So he's a little bit of an amalgamation of those two ex Chelsea managers, but it's quite a difficult comparison to make, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I mean, and that's fair because that's what you're getting from this article, right? So like, there's there's many different dimensions to him, different tools for different situations. Uh, but you talk about how like he's, or I guess Danny Rose is on quote saying how thorough and precise he is. And like, I I guess- He will, he will probably set up cameras at Chelsea. He, he films everything. So at, at Tottenham, he sets up cameras all over the training ground, all around the training complex. And he, he would film absolutely everything. Um, so he could look back at players' behavior around there and make decisions based on it. 
Um, there's a very good chance, and I don't know for a fact, but there's a very good chance that he will set up a similar system at, at Cobham, whereby the players are filmed an awful lot at the training ground. Obviously not in every situation, <laughs> but um, certainly in the sort of work environments of the gym and the, the actual training pitches itself, I would expect there to be cameras. And he used to be able to, I think as well, I remember a story um, where he had gone away with part of the squad for some reason and part of the Tottenham, other part, parts of the Tottenham squad, I think who had come back late from internationals, so they, they couldn't go away with him, had gone back to the training centre. And he would train the players he was away with in the day. And then in the evening, he would watch back the footage he'd been sent from the club of the players who were at Tottenham training there to keep an eye on them and make sure. And I, I think he, he once set up a video conference with them to actually say, well done. And they hadn't realised he'd been watching them. And he set up and said, you, you've been doing it. So I've not been there, but you've not slacked off once. But he, I'm, I'm pretty sure he will do a similar type of thing at Chelsea. There's no hiding from him, that's for sure. Thorough and in-depth. I mean, that'll be important, right? And uh, that is pretty interesting. Uh, they say he's disciplinarian, but he they don't have like the same team rules. And I guess that kind of goes to your family thing. But how he ended at Spurs, I thought was really interesting where they he like starts with a bunch of rules, but then they like after a, a little bit of time, they come together and kind of all agree on say, hey, these are no longer rules. It's kind of our, our, our culture here amongst yeah. the squad. Yeah, that, that's what he wants to develop. He wants it to be a culture and a way of life rather than a list of rules. So as you say, when he comes into a club, he probably does have to set some rules. But then gradually over time, those rules aren't rules anymore. So if you are a little bit late or you don't do something, you don't necessarily get a fine or any punishment or anything like that. But it's ingrained into the culture to act a certain way and act with a certain amount of responsibility and respect. Um, but he can be quite relaxed on that in, in terms of he, he, he doesn't necessarily demand a certain dress code. He doesn't necessarily demand that people aren't sort of five, ten minutes late for things and, and things like that. Um, but it's all within a respect of the family and the culture. And we, are you to break that, then you can be cut adrift very, very quickly. And there are a lot of players at Tottenham in his first year, within the first six months, who he gave opportunities to, uh, who didn't want to necessarily follow his way and didn't want to be part of that culture, as it were, and they were just cut adrift. They were just, they were either training elsewhere, they either left very quickly or they just never played. Nabil Bentaleb, do you remember him? He was oh, definitely yeah. one of them. Uh, Eunice Kabul fell foul of it quite quickly. Uh, Adibayor quite quickly. Um, and it was interesting with guys like that because he gave the joint captaincy to start with, with Adibayor and Kabul. But he was almost saying to them, look, I, I will trust in you if you trust in me. And once that they broke it there and they were they were just gone. That was that. Well, fair fair play to him. I mean, in if he's got his thing, uh, stick with it because I think that is something. And I don't like use it against any of our previous you know managers, but um, you really haven't seen that unity since that Champions League run under Tuchel a couple seasons ago. You know, it's it's I don't know. We definitely the players in the club have not always all been going the same direction. And we know that's something that ownership is looking for collaboration, uh, unity. And we've had the opposite of unity this season. So honestly, Matt, I mean, that would be a refreshing thing, I think for 
just kind of everyone involved uh, because there's just so many moving parts right now. And I we understand this is what Bully and Badat are doing and we get it, but a little bit of predictability or unison would be ideal going into season number two. <laughs> I'd just like to, I've, I've written about it a few times and I don't think there's really been one for a very long time. Um, maybe it, it developed for a little while under Conte and obviously then the intensity of it broke up. Going back to Jose, I obviously had it, but that real culture in the squad, that real, this is who we are, this is what we do. Uh, everybody knows their roles, everybody knows their responsibilities. They can at times manage themselves, have a spirit. The, the Champions League run with Tuchel was an outlier in that, but it it was very much in one competition. It, it, didn't, it didn't actually feel ingrained like it, it had been in past years. And I... That's been missing for a while. And I, I actually, personally, I think that's the, the most important thing that fans get very excited by transfers and who's coming and who's going. For me, the the single most important thing, and I I really think that he will he will get on top of this as quickly as he can, is that culture and that spirit and and to actually what what is it to play for Chelsea? What what are you all and, and what are what he will say, I don't say we because I'm not part of Chelsea, I'm not a Chelsea fan, but what he will be saying, what are we? We have to show ourselves. And that's what that's what has been sadly lacking for a very long time, I think. Yeah, I think you're probably going to get a lot of support from the fans on that one. Uh, but I do have to ask about these hot coals, this arrow thing, yeah. and the, uh, you know, I don't know, is white water rafting. The arrow one is my to- favorite one. Yeah, so I was trying to I was trying to picture that. So they they've got like the points like at them. So I've seen a video of this um, because I think he did it for Tottenham pre Champions League final. I think he might have done it at Southampton when he first went into Southampton. I think he might have done it at Espanyol as well. Um, so basically, there will be a guy holding an arrow like a bow and arrow arrow with a with a proper one as well, a real one. We're not talking. Um, but I would imagine the the wooden part of the arrow, I don't know this for certain, but I'd imagine it's designed for this exercise rather than That's but what the I was point thinking. of the arrow. Yeah. <laughs> but the, the point of the arrow is a legitimate sort of metal, you know, pointed arrow. And they place it basically on your Adam's apple. And you stand there and you're told walk you have to walk forwards very deliberately into it and it snaps. Yeah. But obviously. Pochettino said himself that when you do it, you think I'm about to kill myself and you have to, but interestingly, he always does it first. So his point is, yeah, I do this first, you guys follow and they have to snap. You have to snap the arrow on your Adam's apple against your throat. And I've seen videos of it and it looks insane. And right. It just, it looks like one of those things where everything in your brain would be screaming at you not to do this this is just alien and you have to get through it and break that it's about breaking barriers and a similar thing with the hot coals yeah oh i yeah i i think most of us in the united states will think about the u.s is version of the office and when michael scott took his team out there to find his next leader uh to replace him and they tried to go over uh the hot coals but anyways he yeah he kind of seems like that guy who like wants to get to special forces to do his team training stuff so they're like doing crazy <laughs> military exercise things no, I- I'm not sure that what I think it was more mental. You're saying on that side, it's, 
it's this more mental yeah this it's more about breaking down mental barriers his, his point is is that everybody has it's impossible to rid everybody of fears everybody has fears but he thinks the people who excel uh, can train themselves to break through those fears and carry on through those fears and it's about breaking mental barriers and it's again it's about togetherness because if you all do something like that together it obviously helps create a bond the whitewater rafting was a very funny story where he took his whole backroom staff along with daniel levy out onto one of the rivers in argentina uh rafting and um a few of the staffers or jesus perez who's quite a small guy bounced out the raft a few times and they all found it quite funny and then daniel levy all of a sudden bounces out the raft and pochettino had, had promised him beforehand to get him into this raft that if you go i will make sure i drag you out and he he drags him out and he said he told him a joke as he dragged him out saying right now you double my money as he sort of had his hand pulling him into the into the raft but yeah funny hmm. and i it's hard to imagine daniel levy in that scenario quite frankly and daniel levy's gone on record as well in interviews saying he's never he's never had that sort of relationship or done those kind of things with any managers before any managers after impressive to say the least and then obviously he does this gacon gasson fitness test that yeah. everyone's talking about too you talk about mental I, you know, I've been in teams, it's the same thing, right? Whether it's you run the length of the fit, the pitch in, in, you know, 45 seconds, you got 15 seconds to recover, which is not a recovery, or maybe it's the opposite. Anyways, and it's there to literally, you know, either A, bring the team together because you're all in it together and it all sucks uh, to show you that you're stronger than you can be. And I think that's what a good manager does, though, right? It says, hey, here's where you think you are. Here's your level. I'm going to push you to a place that you haven't been before and that you're going to be surprised in. But it also is to support his tactics, isn't it? It is, because his tactics do require a lot of running. I mean, if you look back, you you will probably have these somewhere. I, I don't have them to hand, but if you look back, his Tottenham teams were constantly number one or number two for, for running distances and, and running. It was a real, real mark of those teams. I don't know so much about Paris Saint-Germain because, quite frankly, I don't look at league and football that much. Um but certainly the Tottenham teams were always ranked one or two on the running stats and would outrun their opponents all the time. And players who you traditionally thought were not players who could run like that or who would not run like that, he would have them running. Ricky Lambert tells a fantastic story, whereas in, in the matches, after matches at Southampton, he would have them in on Monday and he would really run them on the Monday, which they weren't used to and the players weren't happy about it and Lambert was captain. And he was sent off to see Pochettino and had the chat with him and said, guys, Gaffer, we don't want to run anymore on Mondays. It's too much running. We've just played. Shakes his hand, thinks he's done great, tells all the lads it'll be great. The next Monday, of course, they come in and they run twice as much. And Lambert, remember, he got Ricky Lambert into the England squad. And Lambert says, he broke me, but he broke me and it took me to a, a different place. Because just as you said, what he's trying to do is show people that they think they've got a level um, but quite often that level is is actually not the ceiling of, of where they can go. Interesting to say the least, uh, which is good. We're going to take our last break, then we get back uh, plenty more. We even got some transfers and a little update from the owners. So thank you to the sponsors, and we'll be right back. 
Are you missing out on your favorite shows because it's not available in your region? Trying to keep your private time private? Well, let me introduce you to NordVPN. If you're bored of the US Netflix, why not just take it for a spin in the UK? Using NordVPN and a click of a button, you can do just that. No need to travel to Japan for your favorite anime when NordVPN brings it right to you with 5,000 plus servers. No show is out of your reach. Using my link, nordvpn.com forward slash London is blue. You can receive a huge discount on a two-year plan with one month free. We all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your information encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund, and you can pretend the entire situation never happened. Check it out my link nordvpn.com forward slash london is blue to get your subscription started today all right matt todd bowling but bali freeze chelsea season ticket prices to appease disgruntled fans but that's for general allocation season tickets uh the premium seats in the hospitality will go up uh, and obviously you got uh a, you know we you're able to connect with um Chelsea Supporters Trust as well to to kind of get their perspective because they're obviously you know they they have their opinions uh, in the UK it's very well documented the the cost of living has been a massive struggle for you guys over there as well so um, not only that you're coming off a turgid season so good luck losing European football and increasing some kind of uh, ticket price so uh, how'd that go Yeah look I, I I'm relieved. That they did it because I think there would have been an awful lot of pushback had there been any type of increase. I, I've said before um, on on I think I've written it before in regards to Tottenham who froze ticket prices. I'm disappointed my own club who I support Villa have increased ticket prices. I think in the current climate of where people are in their lives, it's actually quite morally corrupt to increase general admission season ticket prices even by one or two percent. I don't think it's justifiable in the current cost of living crisis. So I'm I'm relieved that both Chelsea and Tottenham, the two clubs who are closely, have, have decided to freeze those ticket prices. I think, as you say, the season they came off, I think it could have caused real toxicity and a real problem that could have lasted for them, not just a small blowover problem, but a problem that could have really caused a disconnect between a lot of the fan base and the ownership had they pushed ticket prices up. So it's the right thing to do. It's a good thing to do. I thought there was a, a good recognition in the statement that, you know, they 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 both recognise the fact that this season hasn't been good enough and the cost of living crisis. It's very clear that those two things are at the forefront of their minds and, and that's exactly what should be at the forefront of their minds. Um, I think most people will accept hospitality tickets going up because at the end of the day, most people who buy hospitality tickets afford it. Feel a bit sorry for fans in the Westview, that which are separate from the normal hospitality tickets. They were told about how the pricing structure would work for that when the Westview opened. So it's not been sort of uh, brought on them without any knowledge, but there are quite some quite hefty increases in the Westview as part of the pricing structure that paid for the Westview development. And that was obviously agreed for and paid for 
before the current ownership. So I do feel a little bit sorry for people in the Westview, but I think generally, I think you, you have to say it's a really good thing that they've frozen general admission and it's the right thing to do. It will bring a few people who I think because of the way the season and the way some of the decisions have gone, who are maybe getting very frustrated by the way the first year of the ownership's gone. I think it will bring a few people back on board and make them prepared to give them a little bit more time and patience again. And I actually think, and I tweeted this, I actually also think it's important for Pochettino. And that might seem a bit weird to link the two things. But Pochettino will want to create a connection between team, fans and club, because traditionally that's how teams are successful. You don't get many clubs where there's a dis- that are successful where there's a disconnect between either the ownership and the club or the ownership and the fans or, or whatever. He needs all those things to, to marry. And with, with the possible toxicity that could have come by a, a season ticket increase, I don't think it would have done him any favours in trying to create that, that environment either. So I think from a lot of reasons, it's a, it's a really positive thing. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, good for them, especially, you know, with all the, the, the factors, like you said, it's, it would be the worst possible season to really. And it's worth, it's worth saying as well, they didn't have to do it. I mean, I know the season's been bad, but Liverpool have announced an increase. Manchester United have announced an increase. As I said, Villa have announced an increase. West Ham. It's not like there's a lot of, Every club out there is freezing ticket prices. I know Chelsea have had a terrible season, but they wouldn't have been the outlier had they have put them up. So, you know, credit where credit's due. All right, fair. I, that's good perspective. Thiago Silva's future. It sounds like, you know, they did the extension early in the season. Things are going well, but the way the season has really just kind of crumbled. Thiago's even come out and given his own opinion on the whole thing was very fair to be honest i don't think anybody's gonna <laughs> listen to that and be like "Ooh, wow tiago hot take there but i think he's now reassessed what he wants to do with his career and potentially might want to kind of finish out his last couple seasons in brazil uh and you you kind of touched on this one yeah look i think what we need to say first is that tiago silver at the weekend him and his wife came out and said they want to stay at chelsea now, they didn't say how long for or when necessarily. Um, but if he wants to stay at Chelsea, he will stay at Chelsea. Nobody at the club is looking to get rid of him. Nobody at the club is looking to push him out. Um, and he hasn't told the club at any stage yet, I want to leave. So I think we need to make that crystal clear. The article I wrote was about the fact that should there's a lot of noise in Brazil that Fluminense or Fluminense, I always pronounce this, this comes wrong, um, will or are putting together an effort to actually take Thiago back to Brazil. Thiago, in an interview with me this time last year, very open about the fact that that is the club he wants to finish his career at. If you remember, he almost died when he was on loan at Dynamo in Moscow, I think it was, um, and Fluminense was the club he returned to on loan, and basically he credits them for rescuing his career. He didn't think he was going to have a career after what happened to him. Um, So he's always made it clear he wants to finish his career there. So there is a sense that should Fluminense come in strong for him this summer, it will give him a very big decision to make. Um, Because at the end of the day, he's going to be 39 at some point. Um, So he's not going to have too many more opportunities to finish his career there. The point now being is that if 
And it's a big if still. If Silva turns around to Chelsea and says Fluminense have come in, my preference would be to go back there. I, I, my information is, is that it's very unlikely anybody would stand in his way in, the, in that scenario. But it is still a little bit if, buts and maybe because there's a lot of noise from Brazil about Fluminense and yet Thiago publicly, at least in England, is saying, I'm going to stay at Chelsea. So we've, we've got a bit of, I think there's still a little bit to see, see how this plays out. But if Fluminense come in and make him an offer he wants, I think then he would go because I think it is, as I say, I've been told it's very unlikely Chelsea would would attempt to stand in his way on that. 39 in September, end of September on the 22nd, he uh, is Chelsea's third highest Premier League minutes player this season with 2,100. Only Kai Havertz and Kepa above him. And he's ahead of the next player, Kaladu Koulibaly, by a fair margin, only being at 1,790. So about 300 extra minutes, which we know is over three matches extra played over them. I think the the question for Chelsea, and this is one of many questions for Chelsea, Matt, is you have a lot of center backs starting to pile up. And now you've got Levi Colwell getting more yep. minutes towards the end of the season and in always being highly rated, but between Koulibaly, Buddy Shield, Levi Colwell, if you want to throw him in the mix, Thiago Silva. Maybe it's good if Trevo can play at right back. He looked great in the last match uh, against Force as a right back, but we got a bit of a stockpile of center backs. They're going to have to figure yeah, it out. I, I would expect Trevor Chalaba to leave this summer. On a permanent? Um, I would expect so, yes. But that that's that that I, I'm not sure on, but I would expect him to to go this summer. If you If you remember... Obviously, Malakou Stowe's coming in. He's not going to have the opportunity at right-back next next season either. Pochettino does occasionally switch between a back three and a, a four at the back, but he, he's more of a back four kind of guy. Quite frankly, Trevor's too good to just not be doing anything. Um, for the good of his career, and I think the best thing for, for everybody probably will be for him to, to move on. And... I'm a big fan of Trevor Chalabon. Actually, I'm not, I'm not saying that because I don't think he's necessarily good enough, but because a bit like I've said with Ruben Loftus-Cheek in the past, I think he he needs to go elsewhere and and, and play a lot and go somewhere where he's trusted and he's allowed to have a couple of bad games and doesn't suddenly get dropped and he can actually establish himself in the team. And I, I think with Malo Gusto coming in particularly as well, he will he will get even less opportunity probably next season. So I, I would expect Trevor Chalaba to leave this summer, probably permanently, maybe maybe on loan with a view to a permanent. Um, but again, I, I think there's a fair chance as well it could be Aspie's swan song and he will go. Uh, again, Malo Gusto coming in affects him as well as Trevor Chalaba. Um, so then I'm, I'm trying to think then how many you've got into the mix then. Then you've got sort of Barrio Thiago Silva, Kula Bali, uh, who am I forgetting? Uh, obviously, Levi Colwell coming back. Feels so, like I'm forgetting one there. Yeah, I mean, depends where you uh, want to play. Fafana. West Fafana. Depends where you want to play Ruben, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Ruben's, Ruben's future will be interesting as well. Um, but that's, so that's five with Levi coming back. Is that one too many? Maybe it's one too many. So maybe then... You look at whether a Koulibaly, or as we've just discussed, or whether Thiago goes back to Fluminense, 
and, and that works that out because they are adamant, the club are adamant that Levi Colwell is coming back and will be part of the squad. I know, uh, I know some people are a little bit disbelieving of that or still think there might be some room for manoeuvre, but the club are absolutely insistent that, that Levi Colwell will be part of the squad next season. Yeah, no, that is... Uh, you know, we we paid that premium, right, for Cucurella just to make sure that it was a loan for Levi and not a permanent. Yeah. So uh, you had a little bit of an update on Conte since we last spoke, apparently, huh? Just just a little bit, just a little bit. Look, I, I, I made a check after last week. Um, you, you jogged my mind. Called the mini dealer who's got the best yeah. source tingolo. <laughs> I made... Um, I made a check on whether there's any problems or whether there's any worries. And I, I, I was told, no, things are still on course. There's haggling going on, as, as there always is. Um, so it's obviously not quite over the line. But I, I, I still think there's optimism. And then I sort of checked with a few people I know who, who, who know Pochettino well, who, who told me that Paris Saint-Germain is first to try and sign N'Golo. Um, and it, it didn't end up coming off. But I think N'Golo expressed a keenness to play for him. I don't know whether N'Golo knows players who have played for him or, or quite why he would be keen, but it was described to me that there's a little bit of a bromance there, that there's an admiration from both sides. So that probably tells you what Pochettino will be pushing for. I'm sure part of that haggling on N'Golo's part, he'd want to know who the new coach is definitely going to be. It's all right, people like me telling him and the media telling him it's going to be one man, but you, you want to see that man actually through the building. It's a real shame he's injured, though, again. And that does, again, once again, highlight maybe where the haggling is as well, whether there's something that has to be sorted out in terms of playing time and bonuses related to playing time because he, it still just feels that this is, this is going to be an ongoing thing and you have to be realistic with him, albeit no European football next season, which, which may actually help him. Interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean... <sighs> There's also like the end of the season. I know this is kind of like not connected and a little bit random, but we're we're starting to see. Well, a Pulisic nowhere to be found. Word coming out that he was offered to AC Milan in the summer. Ziyech continuing to get minutes. Um, it Kovacic was getting minutes. Obviously, got injured. We know his future's up. It it's it's a little bit interesting. I think some of the players that are playing, especially with Ziyech, you assume it's just a get him minutes and get him more film at the end of the season for potential suitors and things? Or do you think that Lampard, who was integral for signing Ziyech the first time around, just I, think, I was about him. to say this. I was, I was about to say this. You've got to remember, Lampard made a huge push to sign Ziyech. He'd famously gone to watch one of the Tottenham Champions League matches against Ajax and decided that, that Ziyech was the, the thing for him. He's a really big fan of Ziyech. He made a huge push for him. He made a lot of personal meetings with Ziyech to get that one over the line. He has a relationship with Ziyech. I think you've got to factor that in. That At the end of the day, if the manager is a fan of the player, the manager is a fan of the player, um, it's not really Lampard's problem what may or may not happen with him at the end of this season. He likes him as a player. And he, I think even though Ziyech, I'm talking occasionally a bit of a challenging person, I think Lampard actually likes that in him as well. Um, so I, I think that's probably the reason that the ZH is getting minutes. I think it's interesting that some players now are touch and go to play again this season, quite frankly. 
when you're going to come into a pre-season with a new manager, why would you take any risks on an injury now? You want to start that pre-season fit, ready to go. You don't want to do anything where that makes you start miss the start of a pre-season under a new manager. So I've got to be honest, if you're a Chelsea player now with a niggle or a little bit of an injury, you probably call it quits for the season. Not in a downing tools kind of way, just kind of makes sense. You want to be right for the start of pre-season with a new manager. There's, there's so many. I mean, this is the problem, though, that, that Lampard's had and that Potter had before him. There's so many players and so many different situations with contracts and futures. And does this coach like him or will that coach like him? But this coach isn't sure. And da 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 da. There's so many issues. It's it's a guessing game as to why people don't play and play. And the problem is within the squad, they're all playing that guessing game too. And that's shown in results. Yeah, without a doubt. At least we got a couple goals uh, on the weekend from Sterling, which is good to see glimpses of uh, his self again. So I don't know. Uh, but appreciate it, Matt. A lot going on. Obviously, we, we know you've been busy. So we're excited to uh, officially get Potch announced, move on. Uh, with the planning for the summer, obviously the U.S. tour confirmed the five locations. I'm sure they'll be doing stuff behind closed doors at Cobham and things like that. But, uh, you know, this has a lot of implications. It affects the academy, the youth teams as well. It affects, um, you know, he's got to get in and, and build rapport with his new coworkers and things like that and and get the whole stack lined up. So, um, yeah, tell you what, fresh start, well needed. Well needed for us Chelsea fans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think everybody connected with Chelsea, whether you're a fan, whether you work at the club, whether like me, you work from on the outside of the club, I think everybody's getting to be quite keen to draw a line under this season now and start afresh and maybe pretend some of this season never happened. Oh my gosh, I just realized we got to get a shirt sponsor too and all these other things. <laughs> oh, if you, if you, yeah, there's, there's so much to pile up. Yeah, oh. so much to pile up. Love it. Love it. Well, good for us. We'll continue the chat going. Again, go follow Matt. Uh, check stuff out in Telegraph. Been doing an amazing job, obviously, covering all this stuff, and we'll continue to do so. So, anyways, um, a lot coming at you this week. We got Cobham Crew. We got Tinkerman. Uh, obviously, the women just won the FA Cup. So, check out Blue Royalty if you haven't. Uh, their pod went live recapping a back to back to back. Damn, Emma Hayes is good in what she's building. So, anyways, Matt, thanks so much. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.